Uh, okay, here we come again with episode two of uh, what is the name of the company that robs from the poor and gives to the rich? Or Rob? Alright, it's Fido Fresh episode part two, where they take from uh, the uh, well, they, they buy the produce from the farmers and they supposedly deliver fresh produce to the uh, consumers. Right. Uh, before we go further into this, uh, how old are you again? For the audience, you know. Uh, Talk into the mic. This is the microphone. You gotta move your mouth towards the microphone and speak into the microphone. It's I think 29, 30. What are you, Mike Tyson? Stop whispering. 29 or 30? Uh, 29, I think. Yeah. You're not sure of how old are you? I have to calculate. Because most people think I'm 35. Right. So anyway, uh, why haven't you ever gotten a no, job? 29. Why have you never gotten a job? I, I don't remember you, besides the time when you when you're in college, I never remember you seeing work. Like, you know, I for years, from the time I, uh, even when I was in college, when I got out of college, until 2005, when I fully went out on my own, I had about a good uh, six, seven years of working experience, almost 10 years of working experience, I think. And uh, even when I was on my business, when my businesses failed, I would go back to the working industry and so on and so forth. Uh, so I know what it means to wake up and go and serve a boss that you don't like. And sometimes you may like your boss, but you may not like the people who work with you. And you just want to, you know, quit. And that's what I did eventually. But uh, why haven't you ever had a job? I mean, do you think, uh, what, why, why? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, it's so weird to see people who have never had a job and then they go into a business and then they start employing people. So uh, tell me about that. No, I had a job. My first job was in McDonald's. I used to... Yeah, but that doesn't count. Things that you do as a student, as a hobby, doesn't count as a job. I mean, a job is something that you have to do because you have to pay for your car, because you have to pay for your family, because you have to pay for your house. I say, I'm, I'm, I'm a, what, what, what do Starbucks call the, 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 the people who work for them? Brewmaster? Barista. I'm a barista. That's not a real job. Come on. I'm talking about a real job. Yeah, working in McDonald's is a real job. Are you saying people who work in McDonald's are not real people? <laughs> Ah, touche. <laughs> nice comeback. How old are you when you had the McDonald's job? I was 15. Say, not a real job. It is a real job. <laughs> I started very young. Uh, from the age of 12, I started to find every sort of way. To... I mean, that means I had a job when I was 10 too. I was doing chores for mom. Remember that? Yeah. Right? I was working in, a, in the state library when I was, I don't know, 12, 12, 13, I can't remember. But, but that didn't pay the bills. I mean, like, when you graduate from college, you finished college, right? Yes, I finished college. Are you sure of that? Yes, very sure. How sure? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 you finished and 1, like, you got really high and you thought you finished college. Where would you rate that? 10 and I graduated with honors. Ooh. Is that why you don't have a job? Because you graduated with honors? No. I... So, what do you do after you graduate from college? <laughs> I was working in the hotel line for a while. After you graduated from college? No, while I was uh, in college. You were an intern, or what we call in the industry, uh, slaves. I mean, sorry, uh, uh, training trainees. 
you know, actual working stuff over there. I started off as a concierge. Uh, and what does a concierge do? Get those? Uh, I am not obliged to answer that due to my contract. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, as a concierge, uh, I started as a concierge, I think, in 2014. But before that, I was more on the FNB. I specialize a lot in FNB, food and beverage. I am your service crew. I get your food delivered to you on time and handle all things. I started with this name brand hotel that some of you might have heard of, maybe called Shangri-La. So I was part of. What is Shangri-La? Isn't that a mythical city in Himalayas and in Kuala Lumpur? Uh, <laughs> so I started in Shangri-La um, for I think for five to six years. I was working in Shangri-La. Um, but before I was working in Shangri-La, I actually had a business prior to uh, the, 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 yeah, my hotel industry career. I actually Was it supplying bricks to build hotels? Uh, wait, 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 selling pipes? No. I was actually, I started off after I was, I think when I was 12, since 12, I was always um, working with my dad. I, I, I helped to do a lot of this uh, spray painting jobs and all the stuff. Since you spray young. painted houses? I spray painted automotive parts. So for the local national automotive in Malaysia called Proton. Since ever since day one, I remember it's always that, that industry. Uh, I, I started at the age of 12 for the launch of this car called Waja. Uh, I stayed up with my dad till night. And then I, ever since after that, I just kept on chasing uh, finding different way to help boost my dad's business because in malaysia you cannot set up a business when you are 12 or 13. You i don't think anywhere in the world you can set up a business when you're 12 or 13 which is the problem with the traditional education system of the world which we will go into that much later but yeah yeah so but when i was 13 i tried uh, to do a few things on my own things that Things that other 13 year olds do when they're 13, which is lock themselves up in their room and pick up a good book and read. Uh, no, the complete opposite of it. I was finding a way to make money. So I was trying different ways. I provided um, consultancy services to fix computers, uh, build computers, and help uh, procure uh, good solutions for them a cheaper price um, but then from there after that then I continued on moving I found different ways I started to experiment with um, import and export from uh, uh, what's the name uh, I tried sandpaper I tried importing maybe a few cartons of sandpaper money I raised then after that I tried selling the sandpaper and it managed to work out it didn't manage to work out because the price was not so competitive but it's a trial and error based kind of thing so at that time I didn't have that much of commitment my house my residence everything was taken care the only thing I had to care was my sustenance of my own money additional money something to sustain your habits mm, there's no habits I was 15 so what habits you want me to sustain so well, nothing the internet can provide yeah and the internet was paid for so, <laughs> so pretty much everything was taken care was of. i still living at home at that time yes you were 
<laughs> it's not like she had a choice. He just didn't want to employ her. If she listens to this podcast, she's gonna get so mad. Yeah. So, uh, so my dad didn't want to pay me for a start. So he said, "Why should I pay you? Prove your worth." So I slowly moved away and coordinated a lot of stuff, and then started saving him money. When I started saving him money, so I negotiated for me to get some money. So I got my first paycheck that was like 200 ringgit a month. So that is barely worth anything. Uh, but with that 200 ringgit, when I fill up all gas up for the car, my dad will use up the fuel and all the stuff, and then said, "Hey, it's my car, it's my money. So what do you want to do?" I'm so glad I moved out. I'm so so glad. Then I kept on moving forward, and then I kept on um, pushing forward the business, and then. The first six months, I converted the business. The business was only making ten thousand ringgit a month. Uh, in the next six months, it started to make um, at least one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand ringgit a month through proper management, proper structure, increase in sales, increase in revenue, and proper everything. This is gross amount we're talking about, right? Uh, this is gross revenue okay. uh, with a very very healthy net profit and by the year 2010 the business has grown uh, multiple folds so the business was very highly sustainable and then um, i decided to incorporate the business under with my name and my parents part of the shareholders in it so I had a certain percentage in the new entity, which was called Pearl Coat and Trades and Remberhat. And after that, that business was generating at least uh, four hundred to five hundred thousand a month, um, bringing at least an annual income of twenty million a year. And the net profit was very healthy. So the financial curve of the household and the family has changed massively by two thousand and ten. By 2012, the automotive industry, the main business, my old main business was about automotive. So in 2012, the industry took a massive hit. Minimum wage was introduced. Um, a lot of my projects were cancelled. A lot of the things have cancelled. I also had a tragic year that year. So that involved dipping and crashing my revenue. So from making 300,000, a month, I started making 20, 30,000 a month and slowly to making nothing. So I was unemployed. Um, everyone was close to broke. No one had any money. Sustaining was by day to day. So my sister was trying to do her job, going out, uh, trying to help support and keep the family afloat. My dad started working and I started to go and apply for jobs. This was uh, also the year that my mom died rather, well, I wouldn't say suddenly she had it coming because the doctor told her about a year ago, about a year that she had a year to live and she could have made it out but uh, she let it get to her head and uh, well, she died. When I say suddenly, I mean in the sense that they, she didn't make any planning for her death and how to, that the family would go on after her death. So we kind of sent the family on chaos because nobody knew what to do, right? 
Mm. Yeah, so yeah, because everything was usually under my mom's control, being a typical Asian family. So it took at least two to three years to unearth a lot of the stuff that my mom had and all the books and all the stuff. So uh, during that time, I was trying to, I was working in the hotel, uh, trying to make some money. Uh, I start off as a waiter in the, uh, uh, in, in the service crew. I slowly made supervisor. And then after that, I moved to Traders Hotel. I became a concierge for a couple of months before I moved into back to FMB again. Um, in concierge, I didn't get paid much. My basic was only 400 ringgit. Um, so beyond that, you don't get anything more. So I had to solely rely on tips. So I do as much as I can every day to generate at least I bring back around 3,000, 4,000 ringgit just purely tips each month in order to sustain my cost of transport and all the stuff. And then when I was working in restaurants, I always try to give as much as I can in the best service, hoping that I might get a tip, but I try to do it without, because I don't demand for tips. If they don't give, it's okay, but if they give, then I'm grateful for that. So I've been in the hotel industry for more close to 10 years before uh, I fully had to quit. I had to try to resuscitate the business and the business couldn't resuscitate. Then I tried applying jobs every single corner to every single hotels. But because part of my experience was also the hotel, because I was working, I was running my business and also having my hotel experience. Um, a lot of them could not look at the hotel experience. They only can look at the at the my 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 business experience. So then they always rejected me because of the over qualification and all the stuff. So I applied to almost every hotel in Malaysia, in every single part of the world. One star, two star, three star, four star, five star. So at one point, the last job that I was offered was basic job to be a housekeeping staff to clean the front of the hotel the were they are willing to pay around thousand five basically as minimum wage uh, no slightly higher than minimum wage and uh, I have to work 12 hours a day uh, however the cost of traveling there is around two thousand ringgit <laughs> So basically I go in debt every time I work for that. So out of the depression I came back because I'd like to fill my hole with food so I started baking a cookie. So that's when I started the, uh, my brother gave the idea to start the cookie business called Gokis at that time. And then long story short I partnered up with another more established business. It became Simply Cookies but even after that the business not sustained for a very long time due to the retail space of failure to make payment to customers. In Malaysia, it's a very common thing where big businesses sometimes do not always drag the payment and let the small SMEs collapse. Then during that point, I actually pivoted and decided, you know what, let me go back to my core again and try to create a proper ecosystem. I know the FNB industry has a very corrupted ecosystem. 
so I started to get uh, fresh ingredients, raw ingredients to supply to the F&B industry. When you say corrupted, what do you mean? Um, a lot of uh, backdoor dealings, um, under table dealings, quality is jeopardized. We call this a uh, padding in the Philippines. Uh, yeah. Is it similar? Yeah, same. We call it here as padding as well. So let me explain what padding is. Padding is, for example, let's say you have a construction company and uh, you are the owner of this said building and you give this contractor a particular amount of money this contractor orders bricks for example that is actually supposed to be worth 40 bucks but then he marks up the price to say 100 bucks and he pockets 60 bucks out of it and or sometimes he may buy additional bricks with your money and say that the bricks are actually worth more and he uses it for another project that's what padding is so we provide transparency to food and beverage industry. So we started to come up with a, I started to create a software with my knowledge and everything and I paid a third party software company to develop. Um, I had barely any money left after the last business collapse, um, but I was able to get uh, initial fund of close to 50,000 ringgit from people to know. And then I tried to push on the business to, to, to try to build the software and the solution. But as every software guys go, they never deliver on time. Mm. They give you a very long story and they never deliver. So I wanted to launch on 2018, 13th of April. Um, however, when I knew from the timeline, I knew nothing was going to happen. So by the time when 13 of April hit, with or without the software, I decided to move ahead with the launch. Um, because I cannot wait for people who are not moving fast enough. So I started to get one client, two client, three client. By the end of 2018, the maximum number of clients I had was 10. Mm. The total revenue that I generated was 208,000 in comparison to my competitors. For their first year and then i moved on to my second year in 2019 i slowly built the numbers up the users up the number of clients and i end up having close to 50 to 60 clients at the end of 2019 this is the to businesses right to businesses and now it uh, and it and ended the year of 2019 with 1.25 million Okay, so <coughs> you've raised your client list. Mm. Um, I'm a business coach mm. and my approach is very uh, non-current, meaning mm. it's a bit traditional. I believe in uh, boot to the ground, pedal to the metal, and uh, work your ass off to build your revenue source. However, a lot of business coaches out there today Will tell you all you have to do is post a video on YouTube all you have to do is get a podcast all you have to do is build content they spend so much money on online and virtual marketing that nobody actually in the in the flesh has actually met their customers my saying is go meet your customers shake their hands well you can't shake their hands anymore you know meet these people talk to them convince them show your face value and build build your relationship from there that is my approach and that's why I don't believe in having thousands of customers in one go. I still maintain my quality by having just about 25 people, businesses a year, never more. 
how about you how did were you able to because you told me before you did not have a lot of funding mm. and these other startups have hundreds millions. of thousands of millions dollars and millions mm. of ringgit in funding no, even in dollars even in dollars wow so and and they seem to be not profiting i mean i've said this before and again and again all this startup nonsense where these companies are just being they call this first round funding second round funding all this nonsense of funding and funding and funding they don't actually make any real profit i come from the old world where a business is about profit and cash that's it you don't have profit you don't have cash they're not in business you're doing charity a lot of these businesses are stay in business and they stay in debt and they keep raising more debt and raising more debt in this mco movement control order it's going to wipe out a lot of these people with the debts alongside with it and then that the debt is what's It's going to take down the investors. The debt is what's going to take down these companies. Uh, the mere fact that you're surviving and still moving on uh, shows that uh, you've done something right. What do you think that something right is? So number one, I also believe I don't like the label of that this entrepreneur, entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur. Sounds a lot like a serial rapist. So crap, because those kind of things are people who are. just for brand and those kind of stuff i always like to still end of the day is still a business you're still a businessman you still have to make money you say uh, an entrepreneur is someone who's willing to get into the, the the business game but once you you must graduate you cannot stay as an entrepreneur or a startup for for the rest of your life so my business for the first year it was a startup the second year is no more a startup it's a business it's a functioning business So for 2020 we had a lot of good projections a lot of positive projections a lot of uh, a bigger direction bigger heading but 2020 just got cancelled yeah massively um since I mean like the whole year is just cancelled now <laughs> so in January we had a very great progress and then slowly at the February we saw the first dip and then the dip continued and it never came up mm. so my business was had an early sign that it was affected so i started to design this project called fresh so this fresh project was designed last year 2019 october in trying to reach out to a number of selected communities in a 400 to 500 houses in one small residence to test out so that whole concept was to be paperless plasticless uh, natural more to become an environment friendly hippie yeah so more to be a more premium kind of thing but the thing that i realized was it involved too much work it involved a lot of headaches um but nevertheless um they still wanted smaller size not have additional manpower or resources to divert it so after one month i i i, I paused the project and said to look for a revisit in 2020 because the business was slowing down on february it gave me more time to think and redesign the whole ecosystem it was catered for um hawker shops small street vendors and those kind of things Malaysia there's plenty of it and it was designed for that. So before MCO this thing was already there. So we have the experience dealing with fresh produce, meat, poultry, anything you name it. Uh, 
that you can eat uh, we have the experience um, so when the MCO happened um, we got the first order from uh, sorry before the MCO happened the first customer was actually my sister then after that um, it was a small food court in, 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 in a very far far place then after the MCO hits suddenly people started ordering from us people were a bit more panicky and tried ordering so because we were only exclusive for food and beverage operators we decided to lift our ban on consumers and decided to embrace the consumer market even though we know that it comes with a lot of headaches complaints whining and all the stuff which commonly comes with most consumer-based business we decided to go with it so when we go my myself and my partner we designed this we structured it and then um, we started to get more orders in slowly and slowly so we started partnering with um, um, residential gateway apps to promote them as a fresh grocery deliveries um, we like like right now during the MCO period um, Tesco takes 10 days to deliver your fresh goods Jaya Grocer has suspended all the online delivery services um, other competing grocery services have not enabled their slots um, but we are the only one that continues servicing to all our clients across Monday to Friday uh, except for Saturdays and Sundays that's where we rest and recover together with my farmers because we want to get things to deliver we have the expertise we know the knowledge we are just not every Tom and Dick and Harry across the block that just wants to do a grocery delivery business we know and even if we do not have any logistic people I have logistic fleets I even I will send lorries to your doorstep if you need it so that's that's how prepared we were but um, because we knew how to handle it and end of the day a lot of people look at the margins but it's never about the margins all the time you need to have a fine balance in terms of it so uh, now that you've got a taste of dealing with consumers once the MCO is lifted and I'm guessing it's going to be lifted uh, exactly as they say towards the end of the month because the Malaysian economy as well as the global economy cannot sustain to go on like this because nobody knows how to go on for a prolonged period of lockdown financially as well um, are you going to continue this after this or, or what will you do so after this lockdown period um, the business will still continue to remain to operate however one of the biggest concerns I ever had was the high logistic charges for the different regions in uh, Slangor, which is part of Malaysia. Mm. Uh, so I'm trying to just work out an optimized route so people get to enjoy the logistic charges that are cheaper than 10 ringgit. Right now, some of them are paying as high as 51 ringgit to be delivered to their doorstep. And I'm also trying to work out something where they can have a same-day delivery. Um, for the non-fresh items and yeah those are the things but 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 after the end of MCO um, because end of the day retail doesn't die but retail always gets reinvented in a different way so yeah that's that's my concept 
I think uh, everything is going to be re- reinvented in a different way. Uh, if you remember Zoom, <clears throat> I remember Zoom. This is cheap, shitty app. Uh, when I was in college, this was about free. 20 years ago. And nobody really used it then because it was like, like, it's like the bastard child of Skype or something like that. It's horrible. And uh, I think they have made some progress over the years right now. But now when everybody look into Zoom to use Zoom, security flaws are just horrible. <laughs> like I've seen videos where, where people are just freaking out when uh, total uninvited hackers will just show up and start sounding like somebody else. Uh, so again, uh, online conference, where I'm going this is this, online conferences have taken a different meaning altogether. Businesses are doing online, everybody's doing online. A lot of my customers who are resistant towards the idea of doing online are now just having to suck it up and do it online. Uh, online grocery. I remember when uh, online payments first came out, people were horrified. They're like, oh, what if somebody hacks? What if somebody does this? 20 years later, there's still a small percentage of the population who doesn't do online. Who doesn't do... Same thing happened when credit cards became the norm. Same thing happened when, uh, uh, when uh, online selling became a norm. And this grocery is going to be a norm online. Uh, where, well, the only way to safe, safely shop for groceries will be through online. So I am seeing better improvements of uh, grocery stores. Mm. And uh, you have an online app, uh, software, website? A website. Right. So this is uh, Fidu Fresh Asia. Dot Asia. Dot Asia. So that's F-Y-D-U dot fresh? No, F-R-E. S-H dot F-Y-D-U dot A-S-I So it's freshfidu dot Asia dot Asia dot com No, dot Asia Just freshfidu dot Asia mm. And you go on there and then you have your producers and stuff like that and you fulfill the orders once every two days Yeah, if you order today you get it in plus two days two working days Alright, so two working days except for Saturdays and Sundays So if I order today I should get the delivery by Wednesday Yes And if the vendor does not have the produce, you give a refund. Yes, we do give a refund. Not You don't just credit it to the account, right? So there's two ways. We usually give a refund of... Uh, we now have a wallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, e, like an e-wallet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but it's only like a store credit kind of thing. So we refund directly to your wallet. Yeah, but at this point in time, people don't like, you know refunds i don't like store credits no matter whatever name you want a big credit or small credit medium credit you know whatever red color yellow orange color you want to slap on it Mm. people don't care about that they're like hey i bought something from you you didn't fulfill my order give me back my money simple thing do you give them back their money so if they really request for their money um, depending on how it's done if it's credit card we'll refund but however the credit card company takes five to ten working days to refund so some of them are not patient enough, so they are willing to take the store credit. Mm-hmm. Or through FPX, you usually take three to five working days to refund as well. So yeah, that's so the delay is on the banking sector, not on your yeah. side. Okay, so we just click a button and it's done. All right. So you don't force uh, credit down your customers' throats. Yeah. Uh, so when you, what would you prefer for your customers to get store credit or for them to get back their their money? I prefer for them to get store credit because it's easier on them because mm-hmm. they don't have to wait 10 days, keep checking the bank statement and all the stuff. Store credit ensures them that they have the money there and they can use it any time of the day, 365 days a year. 
Right. What if it's more than a year? Still no expiry date. Aha. So the no expiry date. Mm. That's the magic word there. Mm. So not this 365 days in a year. Mm. Okay. All right then. So uh, thank you for this episode. Uh, we'll talk more in another episode uh, about some other stuff. Uh, but that's a good uh, 30-minute interview or podcast actually. Mm. So uh, until the next episode, thank you everybody. I hope you continue listening to the Super You series so that you can become the Super You that you were designed to be. Thank you.